Thanks for joining us now for In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Great to be with you, Michael. It's it's always good to get to hang out, and uh, I really enjoy doing these programs. I, I we actually have well. fun doing it. Yeah, I, I do as well. And I think our listeners enjoy it because we hear from them, like yeah. Cindy who wrote to us and said, I never grow tired of these programs. She wow. Said. Thank you, Cindy. And here's one from Dave who lives in England. Thanks for today's podcast on your conference on Hesed. Uh-huh. Great teaching. Love the witness of Dave in the second half along with him and Jeff's playing. Mm. That was the program with uh, Dave Dillard. Yeah. Nashville and, Banjo. Yeah, and Jeff Taylor. Jeff Taylor. Uh-huh. Uh, you make my Monday evening. Ah. We release these on Mondays, and he apparently picks right up on Monday nights. Wow, on in the, the UK. When are you coming back to the UK? Yeah, in April, Dave. So, oh. Yeah, we'll be back there in April. All right. There gonna, you go. We're going to hike Hadrian's Wall, our, our group. So I'm looking forward to that. Well, we have to talk about that. Yeah. All right. We will sometime. <laughs> uh, on today's program, Dave Zanotti will join us in the second half of yes. the program today. Dave is my political hero. He's the person uh, whose opinions I trust and who uh, I just want him to help me sort things out, the political climate, and he'll help us with that. He's my buddy, too. All right, we'll talk to Dave. Now, in this first half, though, uh, we're going to hear some of your music, uh, and we want to talk about Matthew, the Mm -hmm. the Gospel of Matthew. This is the second in our continuing series on the Gospel, so we'll open the book of Matthew in a few moments. Yes, that's going to be fun. Okay, but to get started, Michael Card comes to sing for us, recording from the studio, The Nazarene. fascination of the stars And as he wandered through this weary world, he wondered and he wept, for there were so few who'd listened to his call He came, he saw he surrendered all, so that we might be born again And the fact of his humanity was there for all to see was unlike any other man, and yet so much like me. The Nazarene could hunger, and the Nazarene could cry, and he could laugh with all the fullness of his heart. And those who hardly knew him, and those who knew him well, could feel the contradiction from the start. He came, he saw, he surrendered all, so that we might be born again. And the fact of his humanity was there for all to see, for he was unlike any other man, and yet so much like me. He came, he saw, he surrendered all So that we might be born again And the fact of his humanity Was there for all to see For he was unlike any other man And yet so much like me that song. Mm. I really do. It takes me back because I can picture this little blue cassette that I had with that song on it. Mm-hmm. Now, let me let me uh, stretch back into your elementary school education. Who said, I came, I saw, I conquered? Oh, goodness. Uh, I, I Julius Caesar. Oh, right? okay. All sure. right. I came, I saw, uh, I conquered. conquered. Yeah. yeah. So what does Jesus do? Yep. I came, I saw, I surrendered. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how he wins. That's where the song comes from. Very cool. The Nazarene by Michael Carter. Studio recording here. So Mm -hmm. we never allow Michael to play any CD renditions of his songs. As much as I beg and plead. (laughs) Hey, in our continuing series on the Gospels, let's pick up with the Gospel of Matthew today. Yeah, okay. Well, we we looked at Mark, um, and and the approach is, you know, the, the uniqueness of the voice. Um, and, and I say it this way, there are things that Matthew's interested in that Mark is not interested in, mm-hmm. or Luke, and Matthew will take a story from Mark and 
and tell the story as Mark tells it, but then use a different conclusion, can, you know, conclude it differently and, and, and make the story teach something else. Which adds to the richness really of, does. Of, of the whole reading of the gospel, right? And it? we're not saying these, these. This is where they disagree because some, you know, more liberal scholars will say, "Oh, Mark disagrees with Matthew." It's yeah. not that at all. Yeah, you can drive yourself nuts trying to reconcile everything. Yeah, and well, and Matthew will hear the story, and, and, and inevitably with Matthew will be, "Well, that's about the kingdom because that's his major theme." So, um, yeah, and and the, what we what we know about Matthew in the first place, let me say this. We know virtually nothing about Matthew. You know, we know a lot about Mark. You know, where his house was. We know his mother was a follower of Jesus. We know a lot about Luke, right? His companion of Paul. We know a ton about John. We know Matthew kept the books. We know that Matthew was a tax collector. Well, Matthew's not his name. Levi's his name. Mm -hmm. That's really all we know. He may have had a brother. Uh, Matthew at one point is described as a son of Alphaeus. And in a different list, James... Is James the Less is oh, described yeah. as the son of Alphaeus. Yeah, so right. Matthew and James might have been brothers, which I think is a cool idea. I mean, what's my academic reason? I really want it to be that way, right? <laughs> it's kind of a cool idea. But otherwise, we we know virtually nothing about it. We know that he was a tax collector, and so we can sort of extrapolate tax collectors were looked upon as murderers and traitors and that sort of thing. But Bill Lane was always quick to point out in the in the first century sources, we have very few complaints. Against tax collectors, so um, maybe they weren't as as, mm-hmm. as bad. Maybe a he bunch. was one of the good ones. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> and then that, and that's just it. We don't know. But w- the the one outside statement we have about Matthew uh, is by Papias, who says that he collected the logia, the sayings of Jesus. And one of the simplest things to do is take a red letter edition of Matthew and just simply flip through it. And what are you going to find? Five big blocks of the sayings of Jesus. So, so there they are. So he, I think he basically takes Mark's outline and then he 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 puts in these large blocks of Jesus' teaching. He's very interested in what Jesus says. Yeah. Mark is not so Peter. That is, is uh-huh. not so interested in what he says. He's interested in what he does. So you okay. don't. You have twenty-two minutes of Jesus speaking in Mark. You have an hour and a half of him speaking in Matthew. Well, let me do this as an aside. We'll get back okay. to Matthew in a moment. But this uh, study of the life of Jesus is really fascinating to you right now, isn't it? It, it really is. And, and, and this approach of listening to the voice of the, the author and what's unique and that sort of thing has led led me into uh, just asking, what do the details of his life mean anyway? How can we squeeze that? I mean, what does it mean that Judas kisses Jesus? What does that mean? Well, what it means is Jesus is unrecognizable. Right, he has to be pointed out to the soldiers he didn't to be arrested. Stand out no. as the one. No, he doesn't. He's not the one guy with a white robe or auburn hair or blue eyes. Sounds or, like Isaiah fifty-three. Yeah, ex- it's exactly Isaiah fifty-three. There's nothing about him that would make us desire him. He's just. And in fact, I just read the other day one of the ancient uh, commentators described Jesus as being scruffy. <laughs> I never heard that yeah. word used to describe yeah, Jesus. Yeah, it doesn't fit my image. But I don't like it. I don't know, like yeah. Jesus being described right, that way. Right. But. Um, but so we get we get back to Matthew, and and I mean here's what we do know we do know he was a tax collector and that they were they were hated he would have been he would have been looked upon as a traitor I mean the very first thing that happens in chapter nine after he comes to faith he has a party for Jesus I mean that's what pagans do right we throw parties right or they throw I'm not a pagan <laughs> uh, but they throw parties and it's a big party he throws Jesus a large party yeah, he, and all of his seedy friends are there. And in, in 9, you have this group of uh, uh, Pharisees standing at the door because they won't go in, uh, commenting on the fact that what, what is your master doing? But here's the – for the first time I saw this, Wayne, the, there are Pharisees standing at the door, and they're talking to Jesus' disciples who are standing at the door. Huh. And I'm beginning to wonder, you know, are there a group of his disciples who say, I'm not going in there? Oh, okay, because what was in there were – bunch of Roman sympathizers. And, and I'll be unclean, yeah. right? Because one of the things, especially in Phariseeism, you have to be very careful about who you have meal fellowship with. The fact that Jesus, you know, Simon the Pharisee invites Jesus to his house, uh, that's in Luke. Um, that's a big deal. But trust me, none of the other Pharisees are having him to his house. And and at Matthew's house, they're all standing at the door you know, they're not going to go Such in Such a small detail that, that's what, un, that unlocks so much. That's what it? the detail means, though. And we have to be careful not to read too much stuff into it. Mm-hmm. But clearly, 
you know, the, 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 the Pharisees who are judging are standing there where Jesus' disciples can, you know, they can ask the question to, to, his, uh, to his disciples. So I'm beginning to believe, I won't be dogmatic about this, but I'm beginning to believe maybe some of Jesus' disciples are standing there. It's early in the ministry, right? Um, and, and I wonder if they weren't too pleased that Jesus had called Matthew to be a disciple. Because he's the one who, I mean, he's the sore thumb, mm-hmm. right, <laughs> who sticks out in, amongst the twelve. Not Judas, right? Matthew. He's collecting the, taxes on behalf of the Romans. Why in the world yeah. would you, yeah, you shouldn't be asking someone like this. So so that that's the kind of thing we, we know about Matthew. We know that he collected the sayings of Jesus. We know that he had been sort of a, an, an outcast. We, we can gather from his gospel uh, what he was concerned about. Okay, uh, we believe that Matthew was written right around seventy um, uh, uh, A.D., and that's a big date for um, yeah, for us to know. That's when the uh, temple the temple is destroyed. Jerusalem is destroyed by uh, Titus, and um, and what happens is uh, historically, when, when the temple is destroyed, Judaism becomes one thing. Very adamant about the fact that during Jesus' life. Uh, even Jewish scholars, Isaiah Gaffney, who's one of the great Jewish scholars, says in the first century there really wasn't something you would call Judaism in Jesus' world. Gaffney says there are Judaisms. Mm. But if you think of the gospel, it's it, it's totally clear in the gospel that no one agrees on anything, right? We have all kinds of factions. We've got Pharisees who are divided into factions. We have Sadducees. We have followers of John the Baptist. We have Herodians, whoever they were. Um, uh, we have zealot, the, the zealot movement starting. Uh, n- no one agrees on canon, right? Uh, the Pharisees, like the prophets, they think they should be uh, included in the canon. The The priests don't believe in accepting the prophets into the canon. Have you read what the prophets say about the priests, right? They say some pretty bad things. So we have no canon. We have no agreement on resurrection or uh, uh, so many things that, that what everyone tends to agree on is the Sabbath. Mm-hmm. Everyone's sort of unified behind yeah. that. Well, obviously, we're not going to cover everything that we need to cover. No. Uh, and you've written a whole book uh, on this. And yeah. I'm sure you'd like things to put in the book now that you've discovered since writing the <laughs> yes. book, right? Yes, yes. But, <laughs> but, but back to this idea of, of the fragmented, how fragmented everything is. Well, what happens after Jerusalem is destroyed? Judaism becomes one thing. No more Sadducees, mm-hmm. no more priests, right? Temple's mm-hmm. gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what Judaism basically becomes is Phariseeism. In fact, I had a friend who was at an at a interfaith meeting. Well, you know Scott Rowley. Scott yes. was at an interfaith meeting with George Bush, and Bush confessed his, his struggle with alcohol. And my, my friend Scott says, well, that's okay, President Bush. I'm a recovering Pharisee. <laughs> well, there is a rabbi at the end of the table who holds up his hand and said, I am a Pharisee. Oh. You know, his identity is very much with the Pharisees because wow. after the temple is destroyed, uh, it becomes Phariseeism. And, and uh, just a few years later, it becomes what we call rabbinic Judaism. The rabbis mm-hmm. sort of take, yeah. you know. Book of rules. And, right. Yeah. yeah the uh, Mishnah and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. So, but here's, here's, here's where we get back to Matthew. So what is happening to, to the Jewish Christians? And by, by and large, most Christians are Jews still at this point. In fact, the first question they, that they have to settle is, can you even be a Christian uh-huh. and not be a Jew, yeah. right? And so what's happening to them? Well, they're in, the, they're in the synagogue, and Judaism is becoming one thing, and one of the things that has to happen in order for it to become one thing, we have to get the Christians out, hmm. the Nazarenes, the followers of the way. And one of the things that happens right after 70 AD is that a group of uh, Jewish scholars uh, – uh, Johanan ben Zakkai is the, the most famous one who sort of reforms Judaism. It's becoming one thing, and so we have to have a unified prayer that we all pray together. And there's this new thing called the Amidah. We stand the 18 benedictions. We all stand up in synagogue, and we, we pronounce these prayers together. Um, and let, let me just read. Here's one of the prayers, and, and see, see if, you, if you can amen this, okay? Uh, this is number 10. Sound the great horn for our freedom Raise the ensign to gather our exiles and gather us from the four corners of the earth. Blessed art thou, O Lord, who gathers the dispersed of your people Israel. I say amen. Mm -hmm. Amen Mm -hmm. to that. And all of the benedictions are like that. 
until you get to number 12. Uh-oh. And again, remember, the, uh, Matthew's first readers who were largely Jew, Jewish Christians, or who are completely Jewish Christians, probably mostly in Galilee, all of a sudden they're in the synagogue, and this is what they're having to read together. And for the slanderers, let there be no hope. Ooh. And let all wickedness perish as in a moment. Let all your enemies be speedily cut off and the dominion of arrogance uprooted, uh, crushed and cast down and humble speedily in our days. And there's a curse pronounced on the minim, and the minim is a Hebrew word for a heretic, and on the Nazarenes. Oh, boy. So Suddenly they're on the out. Right. Judaism is becoming one thing. And, and so what happens? You, well, you know this. If you're a Jewish person and you're kicked out of Judaism, you cease to exist. Yeah. And so, okay, we, we had to do all that thinking that it come back to Matthew <laughs> and say, what's Matthew's major theme? It's the kingdom. Mm-hmm. You aren't disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. You're part of a kingdom of which Jesus is Boy, the that's king. That's fascinating. Wow. Yeah. I love that. And that that's the life situation. Uh, that's one of the few things we can really gather from Matthew. Yeah. And well, so and so we have Jesus describing that kingdom in, ch- in chapter 5. All right. Well, I'm looking at the clock here. We, uh, there's so much to talk about. Yes. Uh, but Matthew gives us the Beatitudes. He does. And that's an important part of this gospel. And, and what are the Beatitudes? They are the description of the kingdom. That's why they're so important. Yes. And once again, I'm a disenfranchised Jewish believer in the first century in Galilee. My family have, have kicked me out. Right. You are dead to me. Right. And so in, in that context, I'm sitting with other Jewish Christians. And this is what I hear. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Wow, that, that's me, right? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. So you're not disenfranchised. You're part of a kingdom. Uh, blessed are those who mourn, um, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. See, I've just given up everything mm-hmm. because I believe, you know, in, in this uh, newfound. Boy, that background makes this just come alive. It does. Yeah. Blessed are the merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. They're not being shown any mercy right now. Okay. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart, for they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is there. You are not disenfranchised. You are part of a kingdom, and Jesus is the king. But it's this radically reverse kingdom where people who mourn mm-hmm. are really going to be happy. Paradoxical. Well, yes, yeah. It, yeah. And, and, uh, and, and, and that's awfully good news. To those who are suffering on, and on the out. Yeah. Um, they're, they're considered the outcasts. For, for someone who doesn't know who they are anymore. And what's the first thing he says at the end of the Beatitude? He says, you're the salt of the earth. That is only in Matthew. Hmm. You are the light of the world. That's only in Matthew. Now in John, Jesus says he's the light of the world and he is the light of the world. Yeah. But in, in uh, Matthew, Matthew remembers that Jesus said that his followers, they're, they're, they're the light of the world. And if I've been disenfranchised and kicked out of my, my world, that's awfully good news. It's my identity, and I've lost my identity. Well, it's been brief, but thank you for this introduction. And the point is, I hope, and it, it's done this for me, just having this conversation, it makes me want to get back into Matthew and yeah. reread it. And you will see things that, I'm, that I've never seen. Yeah, and I want our listeners to have that experience as yes. well. So maybe that's the point of this, this brief conversation here today is to make that happen. So if it happens, we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what you find and uh, share some of the insights with us. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. So next time, uh, we'll move through the Gospels and we'll go to Luke. Luke. All right. The Gospel of Astonishment. Is that what you call Amazement. it? Amazement. Amazement. Yeah. That's what you call it. All right. That's next time. Let's conclude this one by asking you to sing for us, How Much More a Servant. Here's Michael Card in the studio. On this their final night They bicker and they fight Still they are slaves to men And not yet slaves to Christ He would give up on words Too tired to speak So he took up the towel And washed their filthy feet The arguments just fade away And there is nothing more 
can say The wordless lesson that will set them free Tell me how much more a servant could he be He took a loaf of bread He broke it and he said Take this my body And remember me He took the final cup And as he raised it up This covenant is new My blood poured out for you The arguments just fade away And there is nothing more That they can say The wordless lesson that will set them free Tell me how much more a servant could he be? He is the slave who always serves himself And makes of himself the final meal Lived out in flesh so we could see Tell me how much more a servant could he be? the wine and bread too much to comprehend he leads us from his knees and serves us as a friend in time they'd finally hear the message made so clear who is the greatest one it is God's servant son the arguments just fade away and there is nothing more we can say the wordless lesson that will set us free tell me how much more a servant could he be how much more a servant how much more a servant how much more a servant could he be enjoy the messages of those songs. Mm. Thank you, Michael. How much more a servant. Uh, For our community segment, I want to focus on the Biblical Imagination Conferences Mm -hmm. that you do. Yeah. Got thinking about this, and Joe and I, Joe, our producer, we're we're talking about this. Uh, David sent us a note. Yes, and David is a friend of mine. I know David Oh, you know David. Yes. Okay. Well, he says, I have indeed been truly blessed through Mike Card and his writing and music. Mm. The songs truly show a heart for God and a desire to communicate Scripture. Indeed, God, through the songs... My walk with God, he says, has been made firmer as a result of the Arkansas retreats and conferences I've attended. Mm -hmm. I'm always amazed at the depth of wisdom and knowledge of others who attend these events. Birds of a feather. I know (laughs) my walk with Christ would not be the same without Michael and these good people. Mm. So you know David. Yeah, David David drives this humongous Harley Davidson. Uh, we I know him, I like David. We call him Petro. That's his uh, nickname. No, okay. David is David is a sweet guy. He's about nine feet tall, <laughs> uh, but but a precious precious brother, known yeah. for a long long time. Well, he's been impacted by your teaching and your conference teaching. Uh, now, the Arkansas retreats he's referring to is uh, with John Michael Talbot. Right, right? those are the ones up at uh, John's uh, retreat center. But um, which you've had a part in. Yeah, Joe, gosh, for a long long time we've been doing up there. But these. These conferences started, um, a book would come out, right, whatever, on mm-hmm. a gospel or lament, or I think we started with lament conferences, actually. And uh, I just wanted to have a, an, another venue if people read the book, but then do they want to go deeper with the subject? And if they want to go deeper, we offer these conferences. And it... it it turned out that it was a it was it was a good idea because uh, now we do we do a couple of them a month maybe, and um, and they're on on a gospel. I think uh, I just I just did Luke up in New Hampshire. I'm not sure what the next one is. I think the next one is on Hesed, but it's uh, it's a great vehicle uh, to to get people together and to go deeper. We we generally try to not have more than about 50 people. Yeah, I want to bring that out. It's intimate, isn't it? Yeah. And it allows for interaction. Right. We, we, we do, we end each session with questions and people sit together and and work through the questions. Um, and then there's usually a concert at the end. So, and, and just from, from my point of view, it, it, it's, it's a great 
alternative to spending a weekend and playing one place Thursday night, someplace else Friday night, someplace else Saturday. <laughs> yeah. So what I do is I come with, I'll teach on Friday night and then teach all day Saturday. That's so Michael Card. <laughs> yeah. It's so, it, it's fun. And then we do the concert Saturday night or Sunday night. So I really get to know the people who are there. We get to know, like David. I mean, that's mm-hmm. how I got to know David. Mm-hmm. He comes to these things. Mm-hmm. What do you walk away from these conferences with? Well, it's interesting what it, what he mentioned. He's always he says he's amazed at the depth of the knowledge of others. And what amazes me is we'll talk about Luke or whatever, how to listen to a gospel, and then, yeah, every time, uh, one or more than one person will come up afterward and say, "Yeah, but have you ever seen this?" And they'll point something out that I have that's never remotely occurred to me. And so I'm. I'm learning. I see what's going on here. You're doing research. Exactly. Well, no, I, I let them do my research. And it, uh, the, my favorite story is, uh, uh, and I got I got to know this guy too. Um, we're, we're we're at a conference, and I'm talking about Caesarea Philippi and why did Jesus go up there? That's always bothered me that he would go up to a place like that where Peter makes his confession. And uh, this young man, Aaron, um, holds his hand up and says. Uh, are you telling me that Jesus went to a pagan city? I said, yeah, because I was talking about how many pagan temples there were at Caesarea Philippi, Temple to Pan, and that kind of thing. And this young man's question was, uh, so you're telling me Jesus went to a pagan city and he didn't tear up any of those temples? I said, no. So, so you're telling me, he said, the only temple he ever tore up was his own? Oh, boy. And I just stopped. And I never thought of that. You know, Jesus goes to, you know, a place sure. like you know where there are pagan temples everywhere. He doesn't tear them up; he tears up the temple in Jerusalem. And uh, those are the kind of things that happen. And I just uh, I really enjoy the time. Yeah. yeah, fascinating thoughts. Thank you, Michael, for sharing about the Biblical Imagination conferences. Well, there's much more coming up as we get ready to learn from David Zanotti about acting as a Christ follower in an election year. A discussion you won't want to miss in the second half in a moment. We're always glad to read your reactions to the topics and the music and the guests we feature. And we want to keep that up for future episodes. So send your comments and questions our way. You can send your comments or song requests to us through our website. Go to michaelcard.com and scroll down to find contact. We look forward to reading what you post to michaelcard.com. And help us get the word out about this program by posting a review. In the digital world, your opinion matters, and we'd appreciate your feedback. Well, coming up in a moment, more music from Michael and a timely discussion on Christ in the current political climate, a conversation you won't want to miss. You'll hear it in just a moment as we begin the second half of In the Studio with Michael Card. Join us for a classic edition of In the Studio with Michael Card. Our good friend Scott Rowley discusses the biblical basis for reconciliation as God's ambassadors. And then Odessa Settles joins us in the Mole End Studio with her perspectives on music and its role in understanding the experience of the African-American community. Along the way, she'll perform several spirituals. Look for the post and invite others to listen. All the details at michaelcard.com. Michael, we'll hear you sing again in just a moment, and Dave Zanotti will join us in a moment oh, here on great the program. To talk uh, but here's a note from Dottie who says, uh, beautiful thoughts here, Michael. She says, I liked, and then she quotes you from your journey blog, most of all, we all struggle with the perceived realities of the fallen world over against the unseen certainty of the kingdom. Wow, I said that? <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, that is the, the struggle of this unseen kingdom, which is... That's what our our hope is based on, and it seemed to be a preoccupation with Jesus, didn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the good news. The good news is the kingdom is here. It's here, and it's coming. Yes, it's both and. Yeah, and and I think that's probably what I meant when I talked about the unseen certainty of the kingdom, but Mm -hmm. the good news is we belong to a a kingdom, and that Jesus is the king, as as upset as we may be with uh, the current political... Uh, situation. It'll be great to talk to Dave, have him sort that out for us. We will do that in just a moment. After you sing for us, though, this was recorded in the studio. Will you not listen? Is 
not he who formed the ear Worth the time it takes to hear Should he who formed our lips for speaking Be not heeded when he speaks Will you not listen? Why won't you listen? God has spoken love to us Why will you not listen? Listen to the sacred silence Listen to the holy word Listen as he speaks through living Parables that must be heard Parables that must be heard Will you not listen? Why won't you listen? God has spoken peace to us Why will you not listen? He spoke a word of flesh and blood Flesh and blood that bled and died Bled and died just to be heard How could you not hear this word? Why will you not hear this word? Will you not listen? Why won't you listen? God has spoken hope to us How could you not listen? Why will you not listen? Well, Michael, as you know, I host a number of different radio programs, and so my worlds are converging here now (laughs) with uh, Dave Zanotti on the line, the host of The Public Square, Yes, one of my co-hosting assignments. And Dave is on frequently on the uh, talk radio station in Nashville, so I get to hear Mm -hmm. him all the time. Mm -hmm. And I love it when he's on there because he makes sense out of this chaos <laughs> of the political world. So I'm, I'm grateful that Dave would spend some time yeah. with us. Dave Zanotti of the American Policy Roundtable. Hello, David. Gentlemen, it's a privilege and quite a memory uh, reenacted to be with you because it reminds me of the very first time, Michael, that I came to your studio at Moles and, uh-huh. and uh, sat in on your program. And it was my first visit to Franklin, Tennessee. Wow. Now, uh, 12 years ago, and I would never have imagined from that moment all the things that God would do and all the things that would unfold uh, from the beginning with that very first visit. I remember Joe Carlson giving me the directions on how to get to where you were. Uh The directions scared me. (laughs) I never heard of street names like those before. (laughs) It was dark, and I knew I'd never find it, but we got together and Things go go to the crooked tree and turn left, and <laughs> if you see the beehive, you've gone too far. That kind of well, thing. Well, the first thing I heard about get on the Mac Hatcher, and I thought, yeah. what is that? <laughs> <laughs> and now you live there. Now you're a Frank a Franklin Knight. Yeah, we opened an opening an office there yeah. uh, as well, and, and so you and I are now neighbors, both too busy to bump into each other. Oh, that's <laughs> wonderful! That's scary. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Talk about convergence. We're planning a takeover in Franklin. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Dave, um, since uh, we have some listeners who don't go back all those years when you were first with us, uh, what is the American Policy Roundtable? The American Policy Roundtable is a mission to America. Uh, That's the best way to liken it in something we can relate to. We're missionaries to America. Mm. Uh, It was Marquis de Lafayette who first called George Washington a missionary of liberty. Wow. Quite a number of years ago, a pastor in a church service looked at us and said, I know what the roundtable is. You're missionaries to America. And that's exactly what we are, because as Americans, we have forgotten that our very heartbeat, our premise, our reason for existence begins with the Creator God of the Bible. Mm. Those are the words of our confession, the Declaration of Independence. Now, we've done a really lousy job making that real mm-hmm. compared to a standard of perfect or nothing. But the American story is an amazing story, not because it's unique. It's the human story of flesh and blood like everyone else. But what's unique about the American story is we tried to start right, and we've been struggling to get right ever since. Hmm. And our job is to remind us of the role of biblical truth in the marketplace of ideas and how we can walk in that as a matter of obeying Jesus in the Great Commission, in the Great Commandment, 
and walk that out in love with neighbor. Yeah, and before anyone gets too excited, I want to state that uh, you are politically very independent. We're, as a matter of fact, you, you don't like the fact that we have political parties, do you? Well, I think political parties are bad. Uh, George Washington and John Adams considered them an abomination. Uh, and warned us that we should never become a country divided between two factions, two political warring parties for control of the federal government. And sadly, we forgot that advice, which is one of the things we try to remind people, that ideas are far more important than who controls power. Because ultimately, all power resides in the Creator, mm. and, and, and we all stand before Him. So we're bringing back the first principles of what got America started. We try to do that every day in, in whatever arena, the marketplace of business, commerce, media, and law bring us to. So we might be involved in legislation and litigation and electoral politics. We might get involved in all that stuff, but we never take money from political candidates. We don't endorse political candidates. And actually, the political parties are very threatened by our existence. Hmm. Now, why would you say that? Well, because one of the greatest stories in America that's not reported at all, Michael, is the fact that in the last 40 years, political parties have lost their power based in raw numbers when it comes to elections. Hmm. In states like Florida, where we have an office, um, when we started, uh, that about 10% of the people in Florida were non-aligned voters. Today, it's 25%. Wow. In Ohio, and these are people who vote, not just people who talk. Uh-huh. In Ohio, the people who vote, uh, 60% of them are not members of the Republican or Democrat Party and have no interest in either of the parties. Wow. And so this is a very different setting in the modern era, and we talk about that out loud. And, of course, when, like in a state like Ohio, a swing state, battleground state, Republicans only have 13% of the registered voters. They don't want people to know that. Yeah. Wow. Okay, well, here's the big question. Um, help me to sort out all of the confusion uh, that's going on. I mean, as a Christian, uh, and as we're, we're moving towards this major election next November, just help me to sort out how to, how to, how to walk. I, I know I'm supposed to honor you know, the emperor, the, uh, the leadership, and pray for them. Um, but it, it's just... And I, I'm tempted to say it's never been crazier, but you know, I know during Jefferson's day it got awfully crazy. People were paying other reporters to write false stories. I mean, they had fake news back then. There's nothing new under the sun. But just, I just, I need, I need to, some help to get back on an even keel yeah. and do it in ten minutes, if you don't mind, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> in small words, in small words that I can understand. Okay, well, go. First off, that's more time than most people give us to do it, and so we're, I'm, I'm thankful that the first answer is. Please, in addition to everyone listening to your program, join us at thepublicsquare.com because we have an entire college curriculum in small bite-sized pieces, Mm. 30-minute pieces, one-hour pieces, where together we can walk through the bigger questions of how we got into this mess and how we get out of this mess. Mm. And, And your question is rightly positioned because part of how you get out is by who you select as leaders and in the electoral process. But that's kind of the end of the train. Mm. It begins with what we're teaching our kids and our grandkids around the dinner table. Uh, That's where it begins. It even begins before we get to the congregational model. It begins by what we're reading and what we're praying about and how we're searching the scriptures and how we're, we're mentoring one another in the articles of faith. And then whether or not we read history, you know, you kind of tipped your hand there, brother Michael, because Mm. What you by sharing what you shared about Jefferson, that tells me you read history. Mm-hmm. Because most people think of Thomas Jefferson, they see a tombstone and said, oh yeah, that's the guy that wrote the Declaration of Independence. Well, you know there's much, much more to the story. Yes. And he was not near an angelic character. And there was fake news, and he was a part of fake news yeah. back then as well. So part of this is first getting to the Scriptures and understanding what God says, and secondly is understanding our history. Now, the, the and then then we move into the electoral process. The first thing to know is to know that we won't fix this in a single election cycle. And electing a president is in our answer. Mm-hmm. It, it may be a part of our answer, mm-hmm. but it's not the answer because there is no one who's going to save us out of the mess we've created, but the Lord Jesus Christ mm-hmm. and our true discipleship and walking out his principles. Mm. Uh, forgive me for this colloquialism. It's so horrible, you, you can't even write a bad song about it. But wow. this isn't about left or right. 
It's about salt and light. Mm. 90% of the problems that we have today in culture are not because unbelievers are acting like unbelievers. It's because Christians have vacated the marketplace. Yeah. And you take the salt and light out of the process and think it's, things get dark and rotten pretty quickly. Yeah. And Dave, you're not talking about a theocracy or reconstruction, anything like that. You're just talking about how we need to live as believers. Wayne, you are always the broker of what it is that's out there that people consider real who might be mistaken. And that very conversation in and of itself bespeaks the fact that we're asking the wrong questions completely out of context. And that question comes up endlessly in the media. So you're so right to bring it up. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's the thing. Israel had a constitutional form of government. They had a form of a republic, a covenantal agreement system with the law-giving God. Yes, he's king of the universe, and he still is. But what he gave them in the Old Testament was the opportunity to walk voluntarily in accordance with his laws. Mm. And they were to govern one another based upon family units and communities, and then work their way up. They had a system of government that the framers, like Thomas Paine and others, looked to as a model Hmm. for a republic, not a theocracy. Christians have never been interested in a theocracy because it's unnecessary. They're interested in civil government based upon the protection of religious liberty and civil rights in accordance with law. So, When that question comes up, it only shows that the people who are asking it, who may have a lot of letters behind their names with degrees, don't even know the real history of what theocracy was when it was here, and the fact that that's the last thing anybody's interested in. We're interested in a Republican form of government, as in little r, a representative government based upon constitutional law, governed by the consent of the people. Mm. So what's the role of the church in this republic, Dave? Well, the role of the church, and to to big C, little c, the big C question is God's given two institutions here. He's going to given more than that. He's given the family. He's given the church. He's given civil government for us to walk out and walk through. These are the theaters on which we walk out the life-giving principles that he shared with us. Uh, The church and the state are separate entities and should always remain that way. That's the big C, should always do what the big C is supposed to do and have salt and light influence on civil government. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for the church to take over government. That's not necessary. Mm -hmm. However, the little C church, every single individual believer, should be civilly responsible and responsible to God for the opportunities they've been given to them. Michael made the comment earlier about Caesar and about uh, the emperor. Well, in America, we the people are Caesar. Mm -hmm. Our civil government begins with the words, we, the people. Our declaration tells us that we're a government based upon consent. That means when you become an American citizen, you literally are given the power of civil government in your hands at the state, local, and federal level. Hmm. So our responsibility is to steward that gift wisely. Hmm. That's our responsibility. And if the church little c the people who believe in God, who believe in the biblical revelation, would take their responsibilities to reflect his truth in the arena of civil government, America would change almost overnight. Hmm. Now, we do that by praying for our country. We do that by learning about our country. We do it by caring about our local government first, governing our own homes and families well, and then seeking to elect leaders that will reflect biblical principles in public life, who will walk the talk not just talk about it. And that doesn't, I don't care what party they're in. They could be Republican, Democrat, Independent. They could be Martian for all we care. It doesn't make a difference. Mm-hmm. It's about the ideas, not the people, and certainly not the parties. Mm. And Wayne, you've known us forever, and I'm guessing you're saying, I think I've heard that same talk about a thousand times. <laughs> yes, but we need clarity. And, you know, to repeat it over and over again brings clarity. And I, I really appreciate yeah. that, Dave. So um, are, are we to be activist believers in this whole process then? Well, I think we have to be, or else we've hidden our light under a bushel, and we have no one to condemn from the darkness but ourselves. Mm. Mm. You know, I, I wrote a book years ago, and, and it, was a, it was a title that was probably far too clever by at least half. Mm-hmm. And the title of the book was God Won't Vote This Year. Huh. And the reason for that is quite simple. That's our job. And mm. he's not going to do our job for us. But he will empower us to do our job in the light of his love and of his revelation. 
And that's the difference. Uh, unfortunately, we've gotten way too distracted. And because this business has gotten ugly, we think that it's not something we're supposed to be in. And even worse than that, our biggest fear in America today as believers is that we won't be liked. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so we, we fall prey to wanting to be popular instead of being relevant. Yeah, and and I know uh, maybe it's our listener struggle. It certainly is mine. You you are not free to to voice an opinion really on either side because of the tone that everyone's so angry. So you just think, well, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. I'm going to vote when the time comes. I'm going to pray for my country, but it just doesn't seem. I almost said worth it. It just doesn't seem to have any effect to stand up. Uh, for yeah, and Michael, it's going to get worse. Yeah, it's going to get worse before it gets better because of 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 the way that the arguments are twisted and tortured. Now, yeah. the fact that there's a lot of people who make a living by keeping us at bay with one another. G.K. Chesterton said that if you start an argument or a debate at the wrong end, you go mad. Mm. And that's where America is. And in many cases, the church has started the argument based on, on, the, on the wrong part of the equation. We look at the results of the godless equation, and we attack a civil issue or a public issue. And, and, and we go after an issue, when in reality, what we need to do is start at the mindset. Mm-hmm. We need to start with the fact that America's greatest crisis is one of loneliness. Mm-hmm. And that's because we've accepted a godless equation that says God is either not there or he doesn't care. Both are wrong. Mm-hmm. If we start from the position of a declaration that there is a God, and he cares more about justice on earth than we do, yeah. then we've started at the right spot. And that's a debate worth having, and then everything else follows in line. But unfortunately... We read the headlines and react, or we see the issues and react. Now, the issues are important. Don't get me wrong. We've got to be involved. But if we start there and just stay there, then we're kind of in the churn, yeah. and we never get to the redemptive side of it. Wow. This is, Dave, you've been so very helpful to us, as always. So thank you. i, I just sorry we have to move on here, but we'll see you on the public square, right? Uh, and yes, and I think it's time we have a, uh, a whole lot of things come back together. This time together is long overdue. Yep. We need Michael on the public square. We need to do some more music together. There's a lot of stuff we need to okay. do. But one thing I want you guys to know, we pray for you all the time, and we appreciate what you're doing. Mm, wonderful. Thank Thanks. you, brother. Thanks, Dave. Dave Zanotti of the public square. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Michael, again, a song that uh, we're going to ask you to sing from our studio library of recordings here. This is who you are. Misunderstood and undefined, a stranger to myself. Incarnate contradiction, I am poverty and wealth. I can believe and disbelieve I can bless and I condemn I'm dying in the darkness Of not knowing who I am Then rising like the morning sun The light begins to speak In a voice that's vastly strong And still so infinitely weak Roaring like a lion And it whispers like a lamb It's thundering that who you are Is wrapped in who I am You possess the kingdom You're the sorrowful, the meek Gentle starving ones who are the strongest when you're weak You're always making peace each time you suffer for what's right You freely offer mercy from a heart I filled with light He gives a new identity That's grounded in the kingdom And a new reality 
mercy that is free. You can become the child that you were always meant to be. The flavor of my world comes through the seasoning of your life. Remember when the darkness looms, you were meant to be the light. A light that can't be hidden, or we'll see it from afar. This is who you are. Interesting that that song should speak about salt and light after the conversation with Dave a moment ago. Yeah, it's uh, it's all about being a part of the kingdom. And um, right after the Beatitudes in Matthew is where Jesus makes that statement. And it it's only in Matthew. You're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Matthew's where we started today, wasn't it? That's right. So it's kind of come full circle here. Yeah, that's right. And, and I think it's great to have had Dave um, Zanotti talk about the the political process and because there there's some intersection there between the kingdom and and uh and our participation in Certainly. in the in civil government Certainly. so yeah. so great to have him yeah and i'm still thinking about what you said about jesus tearing up his own temple yeah yeah <laughs> it, it's a fascinating idea no he goes to caesarea philippi he doesn't tear up the temple of pan or the temple of the dancing goats, or any of the any of other four or five temples that are there. Did you pull those out of thin air, or are those real? No, those are real. The temple of the dancing goats, Caesarea Philippi. The 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 priests would give the goats some kind of hallucinogenic weed, and the goats would dance, and that they would interpret uh, your future by how the goats danced. Okay. Does that sound like a credible uh, religious <laughs> yeah. form of religion or, or does it? Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. And then right next to that was the cave of Pan, which is actually built across a huge, huh. huge cavern. All right. And they believed it was the gates to hell. And Jesus stands at Caesarea Philippi and says, you know, nothing will prevail. Even the gates of hell won't prevail against the church. But as we end today, thank God, you know, we have Jesus to follow, not all that silliness. Yes. Yeah. Tremendous clarity, disturbingly clear. Yeah. You know, take up your cross and follow me. The, the, the disturbing, absolute lordship of Jesus. Yeah. Truth we all need to take with us as we wrap up our time together. Thank you, Michael. On our website, you'll find links to David Zanotti, our guest a moment ago, and his work with the American Policy Roundtable. You can also access Michael's weekly blog. You can learn about his conference ministry and find other ways to expand on what you've heard in this session. We're found at michaelcard.com. And we hope you'll join us next week as we open our session archives and present a classic broadcast recorded at the Mole End Studio. For producer Joe Carlson and the whole team, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to In the Studio with Michael Card.